is the four horsemen of the apocalypse? I can give you my heart. You thought you'd gotten rid of us, didn't you? But you were wrong, old bean. Because we're back with a vengeance. War, death, we have death, famine, pestilence. We got it all. And the business. <laughs> we call this foreshadowing. It's showtime. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemmers. Yes, it seems. What gives you a choice? Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniac! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance to our patience is wearing thin. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men. Cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to brutes. 
these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines, you are not cattle, you are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Telling you what to think and what to do. This is episode 116 of Behind the Schemes for September 12th, 2022. And telling you what to feel. This is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And coming all the way from the room right next to you, it's Lightbright. How's it going, Lightbright? That was a very professional read-in. Oh, thanks. That was, <laughs> that's not what you said that you were going to tell me or say downstairs, but. I honestly can't remember. It was something like, oh, what's up, all you fucktards? <laughs> oh, well, I, if I figured if I came out the gates, you know, cussing everyone out, they might not like me. Oh, no. It's okay. There's no shortage of finding people who don't like you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Spit, you'll find one. <laughs> but not here, because we got uh, all sorts of uh, cool people hanging out with us tonight. Lavish couldn't make it. He's uh, started his Loose's Noose tour. And he's making his way to Salt Lake City. Uh, so he is either on routes or is arriving right around now. Uh, we may, we may not hear from him. It is to be determined. But as you know, this is a loose and fast production. So we just kind of make it up on the fly. Uh, so thank you for joining us. You'll be here for the first second half of show, at least. Uh, maybe if you're so enthralled with the topics at hand, you'll, you, you'll have no choice but to stick around for the second second half. We'll see. I mean, we're already pushing my bedtime as it is. So. Oh, no. I know. Well, you should have made, <laughs> grabbed one of these coffees that I made earlier today. I ended the up 42 ounce coffees just sitting on the counter. Well, so I boiled for about 30 minutes for those little baggies of coffee mm. and eight cups of water. Mm. And uh, I am feeling jacked now. <laughs> Might have boiled it just a little too long. Uh, so, the way we typically kick this show off is we draw a tarot card. Uh, you are familiar with tarot cards. Yes. Uh, you have a couple of decks yourself. I uh, do. One of them being the classic Rider Waite deck. Uh, what was that last one that you got? 
Um, I got that. I don't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's the pagan artwork. It's pagan. It's all pagan imagery. Satan. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Pagan. 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 Satanism is so cool with the youngins. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're out of touch. <laughs> um. Tonight I drew from the uh, what? Oh, I forgot which deck. Oh, it was the Line Strider deck, classic uh, watercolor art. Oh yeah. And tonight was the uh, the Hanged Man, which I think is a first for the show. I, I can't think of another time that we've drawn the Hanged Man card. Very interesting. Now this card's cool. Uh, the art for the Line Strider deck, it's drawn in this watercolor and ink style. Uh, so it kind of, it takes a lot of the same themes from the uh, Rider Waite deck. Uh, but there's a lot of animals in these illustrations and whatnot. And uh, this particular one features a blue tiger strung from a red cord. And he's hanging upside down. Okay. Um, let's get into some of the general key words about the hanged man. Crossroads, decisions, potential growth, insight, change, and renunciation. The hanged man line strider is a mysterious card that often appears at transitions when you pause to assess a situation or find a new way of seeing and approaching life. The hanged man, here is a uh, blue tiger, is hung from a tree branch with his right leg tied and his left leg free, his knee bent. The tiger is drawn because the author believes that the hanged man is a powerful character who can jump into action once a decision has been made rather than a docile and passive one. Uh, cats also can do aerobatics. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as iris parkours off all the furniture on a daily basis parkour parkour um uh th this is uh from tarotx.net by the way this is uh, what i'm reading from uh cats can also do aerobatics in the air without losing their balance or direction the reason for the blue color is because blue is the color of pause or waiting of nature in the quiet winter. Even though he is in a difficult position, his expression is relaxed as he is voluntarily hung from a tree. I don't think cats and voluntary necessarily go in the same sentence. <laughs> the uh, the shrink leg shows the shrink leg. The shrink leg shows its action potential. Around the tiger's head is a holy circle. A symbol of uh, spirituality. Ah, yes, I do see. Uh, do you have the show notes pulled up, Lightbright? I do, I do. Yeah, you can see there's a that kind of gray halo behind the uh, tiger's mm -hmm. head. And you see it a lot in uh, presidential photos and whatnot. They always try and frame it to where he's got some dopey-looking halo behind his head. Gotcha. Uh, do you have any particular thoughts about this card? Uh... I know t normally it's one that you don't, you aren't excited to draw. Now, it's not like it's the end of the world. You know, we're not talking the tower or ten of swords or whatever. But I think the description pulls it up pretty well as far as you may be in a crossroads of uncertainty or undecisiveness. But the more prepared you are and i.e. ready to jump at it when the time comes, the better. Right, and it's not something that's uh, it's not a position that you necessarily want to 
stick around and hang out in. Uh, <laughs> you know, this artwork reminds me of all those generic uh, office posters you always see in movies of like a cat hanging, hanging on like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's cool as fuck. I'm looking at uh, some artwork that Fletcher has dropped into the chat. The, get that added to tonight's show art for the chapters. Um, here's a so this uh, there's a section in the bottom of Tarot X. It's a message of the Hanged Man line strider. I'll, I'll I'm going to attempt to get through this part. Uh, please excuse me for butchering these names. I'm about to attempt. Um, recall Odin offering himself to. Yigs, 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 Yigs All right, I'm coming. Where's it at? <laughs> Here, uh, are you looking in the chat? Uh, I'm on the page scrolling oh, down. Yeah, just uh, search Odin. It's on section number four. Um, we might also call this uh, gallows the world tree. This tree is rooted in, in the underworld, unconsciousness, reaching out to matter, consciousness to enter the heavens, subconscious. The first views that appear in the diagram of the lovers are already starting to really happen. The contextual, th conceptual things that we have come across in the past started to become real experiences after the Justice card. The number of the Hanged Man card is one uh, is twelve. Also six plus six, which is the High Priestess, and it takes the Lovers Line Strider to a whole new level. So yeah, that's what they're kind of um, insinuating is that uh, there's this crossroads archetype. You know, there's a there's a decision. Yggdrasil. 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 Thank you. Uh, beyond all of its symbolic systems, the Hanged Man influences us because it directly represents a concept of calm and understanding. The ignoration appears strongly in the card uh, because the Hanged Man has surrendered comprehensively and accepted it as part of the ritual instead of just observing it from one side. For many modern people... That means allowing them to let go of feelings that have been locked away in for many years. Remember that both are actions. Surrendering to the Tree of Life is an optional sh a step, uh, but not passive waiting. And one of my favorite scenes in a movie that, uh, that depicts the Hanged Man is uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight. The second Batman with um, Christian Bale. Heath Ledger, the Joker, at the end of the movie. Yeah. He, he's he's pulling off that hanged man card. Oh. Yeah. And then he turns around and dies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get into some crazy occultic shit uh, between The Dark Knight and whatever that last, last movie that he did that had Johnny Depp and uh, Colin oh, Farrell step the, in and play all the different parts. The Emporium one. I can't remember the whole thing. Uh, Dr. Parnassus's Magical yeah. em Emporium Yellow Submarine Under the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, did you have any additional thoughts on the um, on La Hanged Man? I don't think so, no. Nice. If you would like to check out that card, it's posted up at the top of our show notes, which can be found over at zososcorner.substack dot com z o s o s corner dot substack dot com uh, it's a weekly newsletter that we release so you can head over there to the substack uh, subscribe if you so choose to and that means all of our show notes every week 
uh, will get sent directly to your inbox. And it'll also tell you when we go live, uh, which is at about 10 o'clock east, excuse me, 10 o'clock. Oh my God. Lavish is not here. And so it's fucking up all my time zones. Seven o'clock Pacific, nine o'clock Central, 10 o'clock Eastern shows at 7.30, 9.30, and 10.30 Eastern, respectively, over at badradio.live. You can also find a button for the green room. Head into there, check out the chat room. All sorts of crazy, cool people hang out there on a weekly basis. Uh, and there's all sorts of fun things that Gal, the bot, can do for you. She can draw tarot cards for you. She can tell you what time it is. Uh, she can tell you what phase of the moon is if you, uh, uh, if you ask her. She's wonderful. <clears throat> Um, let's see. What, uh, what does that lead us into? Are you ready to read some boostograms? Sure. Yes. Boostograms. I've been trying to get uh, light, bright boostogram pilled, uh, with modicum success. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we had, uh, so a boostogram is a micropayment of Bitcoin that you can send in real time through a, uh, a new podcast apps. Found at nude, N-U-D, nude, podcastapps.com. It's part of the new podcasting 2.0 uh, experience. And it blows Spotify and YouTube and all those other dopes out of the water. You can get chapters. You can get transcripts. You can send boostergrams, these micropayments of Bitcoin. Uh, it's a lot of fun. This show's a little different because based on the number that you boost in, there's a chance that you can get a super cool, super secret, super fun ISO to play. We actually have two new ones for tonight. I have to double check my numbers, but uh, we got uh, ten. Uh, excuse me, eleven thousand nine hundred and fifteen. So one one nine one five. That's the gas attack, and then we have twenty five thousand seven hundred and sixty four for uh, for a God save the Queen. Twenty five thousand seven hundred and sixty four. We had a couple of boostograms come in from uh, earlier in the week that we should hit. I think the first one would have been uh, from Cotton Gin, because I don't remember reading this on the show, but for 36,500 sats, he said 365IA, which is the blacklight boost. He was turning, we have a blacklight in here. Did you know that? A blacklight boost? Well, it turns on the blacklight. Oh yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. I think we might want to turn that off though. You don't know what you're gonna find. The S and M guy. <laughs> you can only see him when you turn the black lights on. <laughs> uh, then I was testing a bunch of shit. I don't want to read mine. Oh, there's one right now. Sixty-six, sixty-six. Who was that from? Who was that from? That was from Bully Steed saying best show notes and mm-hmm. art Zoso's Corner eps, uh, episode 116. Oh, best show notes and art Zoso's Corner episode 116 through uh through Fountain. Well, thank you very much Bully Steed. She she just boosted a goat. So, now there's a dead goat sitting here. <laughs> we like to count them. Get a little pile going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> these goats. What do you what do you mean by these goats? These goats. These goats. 
Uh, who else do we had? We had a 306 from Servo. He's triggering the Alex Jones. Yay! Uh, we had 22,500 from NA Millennial saying, ah, God damn it, why do you gotta do this to me? Du hast ein Zeich I don't know. But uh, I think that's referencing the Rammstein Deutschland lyrics. Yeah. You did take German in school, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. Can you believe it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our uh, that's our boostagram sound for tonight. It's Lorian going, mm-hmm. In case you were wondering. Uh, we had 3333 from Bully Steed saying, Sir Seed Sitter loses his boost, Cherry. Cherry emoji boost. Boost. That's right, because just before that, for two different boosts, Sir Sir Seed Sitter sent in 8888 saying, First ever boost. Drunken voicemail mm-hmm. incoming. Aw, shit, yeah. Uh, now, do you know what the 8888 does, by chance, Lightbright? 8888. Yes. I do not. That is the boost again. <laughs> and since uh, that came in before I had it working uh, from Sir Sir Seat Sitter, I'll, uh, we'll play that one for him. Uh, who else do we have? I th- we had uh, from ten- we had ten sets from user seven seven nine one two one zero zero eight six six zero 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 two zero through Fountain boosting in ten sets, and uh, I think that catches us up. I think it does. Um, so if you want to get in on that action, you can go over to nudepodcastapps.com. Check it out. This is a value for value production, meaning that uh, we pretty much just put everything that we do out on the internet for free. And if there's anything that you received in value, we just ask that you turn around and send some value back, whether it be through the form of music or ISOs or jingles or stories or artwork or monetary donations or boostergrams or emails. All of it goes towards making this the show that you want to hear. And uh, I did try to get light bright. I'll be pilled. It didn't go well. Nope. Sorry. Uh, Once all of the uh, fat stacks of sats and fucking cuck bucks. That's right. I said a cuck bucks. We're going to do this on the air now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, we had a couple couple of other ones. Um, Hmm. Interesting. Because I'm not seeing them in helipad but i see him in the chat uh wow that doesn't happen often uh in a millennial for 4500 sets has a question for you like right uh okay doki he uh in a millennial ask have you ever done a booberry if not would you do one ever done a booberry you know i heard the older they get the more toxic they are so probably should stay away from it at this point damn i never get off <laughs> Uh, dildos. Ah. <laughs> what? Let's see. What else we had? We had, uh, from Metis with 1,500, 15, sats saying nerds. And he's boosting the live tag there. 
And then that's where you're like, oh yeah, booster grams are so cool. They're so lit. I totally want to get in on this. Beep. What? Because that's where you'll get an ISO and you'll take it and run with it. So I would never find me <laughs> one instance. Where you try to record me saying something? Yeah, you're out of touch. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, I like, hey, I just I'm a I'm a connoisseur. Like I can't help but to appreciate. And if I can catch it there in the wild, then you know, why the <laughs> fuck not? Can relate. Uh, so yes, uh, behind Today, this- we need a special kind of courage. God save the queen, my son. Fuck the king. Ah, uh, yes, the God save the queen boost. That's one of the new ones that we had. That was uh, Pitar boosted in mm-hmm. 20, 25,764 sets. You can get a little queen action in there. I was going to do something really gross and gratuitous but i decided against it are you proud of me uh shocked and appalled right yeah i know uh so that was a quote from the queen saying um today we need courage followed by the sex pistol saying god bless the queen and then uh (laughs) it's the hound from game of thrones saying fuck the king because we can finally we're finally back to being able to say fuck the king isn't that exciting? It is exciting. Mm. Indubitably. But yes, BehindTheSchemes.com, S-C-H-3-M-3-S. That's how you can get in on all of this action. Satan sats. It's tough to find all those facts. So we're good to go. Doesn't the Antichrist show up now? Boo! Or is he already here? Boost! Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. Roll it out the MK Ultra song on us. Great. Love is tits. How about that shit? Well, if you're going to bury a vampire, you damn well better make sure that thing stays in the coffin. Damn well, better make sure that shit stays in the coffin. Uh, 612-263-7999 is the telephone number that you can call if you would like to leave a screen mail. What the hell is a screen mail? Well, a screen mail is anything that you want it to be. You can either scream, you can tell us a story, you can rant, you can rave, you can do drugs. All of it counts. It's the easiest way to help produce public radio by calling that number. 612-263-7999 and leaving a voicemail. Here's the first one. Well, it's all going down in the green room. We got lizards and aliens in the green room. If it doesn't rock your boat, well, we'll sacrifice a goat. It's all going down in the... Ah! <laughs> wow. Color. That's... uh. I like that. That reminds Very me. Nice. Of, that reminds me of the stagehand creed. Do you remember that one? Oh, the we who are not seen or heard. It's whatever. the we the unwilling. Yeah. Oh, led by Godwin. The unknown, yeah, we yeah. the unwilling, led by the unknown, doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We have done so much for so little for so long. We can now do almost anything with nothing. <laughs> 
Oh, good old times. There's someone you could try and get on the show. Godwin? He's been on the radio like 17 times now. I know. He posts the status every time. Yeah. We can Tempesto. get on the, the Tempesto voice for you. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be awesome to have his voice talent. I'm not sure how he would feel about the, some of the material that we cover on this show. But it might be fun to have a good old-fashioned, he just chews you out like he used to all the time. Yeah, oh yeah, that would be great. Ah, try and hit me in the dick with that knife from over there now. <laughs> um, do you want to, we got two more, do you want to do another one? Sure. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we have a text message. Uh, you can also text the number if you want to send in pictures or if you're voice shy and whatnot. You can just uh, shoot a text no- text over to that number. And this one is a Fighting link. Fighting with black kids is tough. I don't know if you ever fought. A- this is uh, Theo Vaughn saves it at the last minute. A bunch of black dudes, but they win. <laughs> they win, dude. Dude, I got jumped one time after a football game by five black dudes. I don't know if you ever fought five black dudes at night. Just imagine you're fighting five black dudes, right? Now close your eyes. Now how many black dudes are you fighting? As many as your imagination can hold. And white kids are horrible, too, man. It was just in in poverty. It's just that's what's going on, man. And if you're a black guy and you feel like that's racially insensitive, then imagine you're fighting five white dudes in a cloud. (laughs) Like, damn, this cloud is aggressive. (laughs) And accurate. (laughs) Fighting with black kids. (laughs) I like Theo Vaughn a lot. Uh, I'm guessing you haven't caught any of his stuff before. No. What was the name? Theo Vaughn. Uh, no, I'm not familiar. T H E O Vaughn. Mm. He's really good about doing um, nonsensical world building. It's like, I'm going to take you to onto this. It's like this one thing is like this other hypothetical situation, and then just boom from there, it exponentially grows out to be this super ridiculous, uh, over the top, you know, uh, yarn of a tale. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, Thea's really good. I, I like his stuff a lot. Um, I think that's all we're going to do for now for um for voicemails. Uh you still got plenty of time. We're gonna leave a couple in the can ready to rock and roll. And uh since we don't have you don't have any stories or anything prepped, so I guess we'll just go straight into my stuff. Oh no. Oh no. I mean, I can always bullshit. I mean, I can talk. (laughs) Well, the, um, I did ask you at the last second, so I appreciate you, uh, hopping on. Uh, and, uh, we've actually been kind of having conversations, uh, off the show about some of the material this week. And we're actually going to continue part of the conversations that we were having. This, this episode is kind of like a spiritual sequel of some sorts to last week's episode. So we got two different main threads that we're going to be exploring that kind of wrap up and 
contextualize some of the things that we were discussing last week. Uh, now, last week we were talking about Operation Large Area Coverage. This was a program that the U.S. Army conducted for uh, years, a couple of decades. 33 different spots. They're spraying all of this zinc cadmium sulfide, which is uh, used in the production of glow-in-the-dark materials. It's one of the things that helps uh, the glowing agents glow. And they were just hosing down uh, a lot of impoverished neighborhoods, uh, you know, here here in Minneapolis, uh, St. Louis, uh, Corpus Christi, all sorts of different places. And, um, you know, people were saying like, hey, you know, we're starting to see more miscarriages, we're seeing more birth defects, we're seeing higher cancer rates in these communities. I mean, they were, they were spraying down schools and shit with the zinc cadmium sulfide. And it turns out that one of the companies that produced the zinc cadmium sulfide that the U.S. Army, um, or excuse me, one of the one of the companies that the U.S. Army had had bought the zinc cadmium sulfide was called the U.S. Radium Corps. So that's kind of where we're going to be sticking around. Um, but first and foremost, yeah, I've made it no stranger to you. How much I love science. Can you confirm this? Yeah, you're you are the science guy in the house. You I know am. you know it all. And do you know can you name the one scientist that I can't stand? Um can't stand? Can't stand him. He's a douche. Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Here's a little bit on the history of radium and radiation. This was just a few years after the discovery of x-rays. Marie Curie and her husband and research partner, Pierre, wanted to know how a piece of matter could make it possible to see through skin and even walls. The knowledge that there were rare places in the world where rocks rich in uranium possessed these strange properties inspired Marie on her scientific quest. The dull brown ore, still mixed with pine needles, came from the part of Eastern Europe that is now the Czech Republic. But this material was very rare, and even to distill a tiny amount of it required the most lengthy and labor-intensive efforts. She was later to write, We lived in our single occupation, as in a dream. They worked under the worst possible conditions to purify the ore into a mineral called pitchblende, which was 50 to 80% uranium. This was quite an achievement, but Marie and Pierre were hunting for something far more rare. It took them three years to process tons of ore to isolate a mere tenth of a gram of a substance she named radium. Marie and Pierre had discovered a completely new element. The Curies showed that the radium was entirely unaffected by extreme temperatures. That was strange. Most things subjected to such intense heat would change drastically. And there was something else. It spontaneously emitted energy, not through chemical reactions, but through some unknown mechanism. Marie Curie called this new phenomenon radioactivity. Was that bombastic enough for you? 
I felt like I was in a Disney queue or something getting it, ready to go on a ride. It's all animated. Yeah. Yeah, the whole video. Uh if you are um if you want to check out any of the, the material that we're playing clips from tonight or the articles that we're referencing, they're all found over in the show notes. Uh, so make, make sure you swing on by and check those out. Um, but yeah, in, this is, this is a, a tangent that I don't need to spend any time on, but it's just hearing this reaffirms how much of an actor this guy is. Like He mm. is so, so incredibly into it. And I get it. It's intoxicating. Like, what's not to love? Um, but yeah, it's uh, the the thing that we should highlight in that clip is how long it took to process all of this pitch blend to get the you know the super minuscule yield of radium. You know, a couple of years, and you only got like a, a tenth of a gram. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very incredibly uh, laborious, but. Um, Marie and uh, Pierre, they ended up winning about five different Nobel Prizes, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, which is, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, but this, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with Neil deGrasse Tyson with part two. She and Pierre calculated the energy that spontaneously flowed from a lump of radium would be much greater than burning the same amount of coal. Radioactivity, to their astonishment, was millions of times more potent than chemical energy. The difference between liberating the energy that resides in molecules and the far greater power stored deeper down. Between Marie, Pierre, little Irene, and the man she would later marry, the family would win five Nobel Prizes in science. The bottles, tubes, and flasks of pitch blend that they had refined left a residue of radium particles. They were so potent that they lit up the lab at night. As Marie wrote years later, they were like earthly stars, these glowing tubes in that poor, rough shack. Marie leapt to the correct conclusion that the luminescence was due to something happening inside the nuclei of radioactive atoms. For thousands of years, it had been thought that atoms were the smallest unit of matter. Curie's earthly stars were evidence that within the atom was a possible world where even smaller particles were interacting. One hundred years after this magical night, Marie Curie's cookbooks still glowed with the exquisite radioactivity she had discovered. Well, that's not the only thing glowing around these parts. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so, radium gets discovered, and they find that radium is fairly effective in shrinking cancerous tumors. So, what do you think happens? Do they start sticking them on some tumors? They stick it on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if it's an ailment, you're putting radium on it. Um, it's the new leeches. It is the new leeches. Here's a, <laughs> here's a, here's a short clip about a, a radium energy drink. Some companies ironically began marketing radioactive products as a way to treat illness and disease. One famous product was the energy drink called Radithor, which was a mixture of water with a highly radioactive element called radium. Radithor was manufactured from 1918 to 1928 by Bailey Radium Laboratories. 
Bailey Labs claimed Radithor gave you energy, as well as cured a host of health ailments. They even suggested it as an aphrodisiac, only making it all the more popular. However, most Americans never got their hands on Radithor, since radium was relatively rare and expensive to mine and purify. Today, a single bottle of Radithor would cost around $15. But that price tag didn't deter American industrialist and amateur golfer Eben Byers. Byers was introduced to Radithor by his doctor, and the drink eventually killed him. For years, he reportedly drank one to two bottles of Radithor a day. Uh, it turns out that is not necessarily an incredibly healthy thing to do. Uh, as we'll come to find out that consuming radium can have uh, drastically negative impacts on your health. That uh, It's not pleasant. Um, but I did find a very fun and interesting document. Uh, this is from the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education. This is a radium historical items catalog. Interesting. It's a whole co- uh, compendium. I mean, there's uh, there's quite a few. It's mostly single page write ups, a couple of pictures and descriptions and whatnot. Um, if I had to do a rough estimate, I mean, there's 171 pages, so there, I'd say there's probably a good chance of you know at least 150. Uh, maybe it is the full 171. Um. But here's a, a, on page 10, Dr. Howell's Radium Cure for Deafness and Head Noises. So we're going to scroll on down to page number 10 and check this one out. Uh, Dr. Howell claimed that this remedy was, quote, unsurpassed and, quote, one bottle will make the death here and only 50 cents a bottle. Try a bottle and be happy. <sighs> <laughs> This shit is so radioactive, it's going to make you hear. Uh, We've got radioactive pads, packs, and compresses on page 25. (laughs) This one, uh, a whole slew of them. uh, We had Parapack, Radio Wall Pack, Radio Gin Pack, Radioactive Body Pad, Cosmos Radioactive Pad, uh, Gra Maze, Uranium Comforter, Ray Cura. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. Ray Kira. Sounds like a Final Fantasy move. Um, Ward's Radium Ore Healing Pad, Standium, Standard Radium Compress, Q-Ray Electro Radioactive Dry Compress, <laughs> Radon Pillow, <laughs> uh, Cloth Packs of various sizes, dependent upon an area of body or foot size to be treated, contain radioactive, quote, minerals, generally from uranium ores. The manufacturer's claims, highly efficient. Uh, too bad not that safe. Uh, remedy for rheumatism, neuritis, lumbago, sciatica, arthritis, neurologia. Mm, don't know what that is. Gout, asthma, headache, general debility, insomnia, menstrual cramps, and other illnesses. Oh my goodness. This is nuts. I like. I knew they had done a bunch of like radium stuff around... Or back then, I guess, and I I thought it was mostly contained to like the watches and the face creams and stuff. But if you, right here, radium condoms. Nice. Wow, what page is that? One thirty three. One thirty three. Yes, we here we go. <laughs> God. 
133, you say? Radium condoms. Uh, wow. Radium. <laughs> Nutex. Nutex. Nutix. Radium Nutix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, description, just a box of condoms. Uh, manufacturer claims not available. Uh, here we go. Comments, no representation to be radioactive. So this might have been one of the ones where they claimed that it had radium in it, uh, but it actually was just a marketing oh, thing. Oh, so just a marketing thing, you know, make your dick glow, but it never <laughs> <Yes>. actually happened. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sold for protection against disease. Get next to Nutix. Ask, the, ask for them by name. <laughs> Uh, radium Nuttics are a fine quality prophylactic. Uh, they are carefully inspected and tested, sold in drugstores, manufactured by the Nuttics company. It's not Nuttics. I think it is Nuttics. It's Nutex. Well, <laughs> potato Nuttics. I like uh, someone in the chat said, so you can see it coming at you, bully steed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Especially if you squirt it into your mouth. <laughs> I mean, you like glow in the dark stuff. Yeah, so. man. Yeah. <laughs> Radium enamel for your teeth. Yep. Oh, well, hold on to that one. You're okay. going to take that card and stick it into your pocket. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm, there's there's tons we could easily go through, and, and one by one, I think it would be fascinating. But. Uh, we do have quite a bit of ground to cover tonight, so unless there was, right. there was one that really stood out to you, we'll uh, continue on here. I'm good. Uh, so, Radium Girls, what uh, what are the Radium Girls? How to what does uh, how do they play into this story? And uh, sorry, I'm just getting back to my show notes here. Um, we should uh, let's actually before we get to the radium girls, we should talk about um, what radium or actually I can't remember what this clip is. We'll just we'll see. As it decays, radium releases particles that ionize nearby materials, creating positively charged ions that pull negatively charged electrons from other nearby atoms. The glow occurs when electrons return to their original state, releasing that extra energy as light. In 1902, an inventor named William Hammer, who would be the first person to suggest using radium as a cancer treatment, used samples of radium salt given to him by the Curies and mixed it with glue and zinc sulfide to create a luminescent paint. Hammer found a variety of uses for this new luminous material, which he called Undark, from toys to gun sights, but the most popular was for the dials on watches and clocks so they could be seen in the dark. Ah, uh, yes. Undark, the bioluminescent paint. Thank uh, you for using my favorite science guy for a clip. That's oh, awesome. you're, you're welcome. Um, and just because you went there... Um, Are you know. the science one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I am the science one. <laughs> uh, oh no! The CDC is like this whole governmental body with scientists and shit. They just tell us what to do. You don't have to think about it, dude. Well, that was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> uh, so undark, undark is this paint. Uh, homeboy goes and gets the radium salts straight from the Curies. And uh, creates this uh, paint that explodes in popularity. They're putting it on watch faces. They're putting it on street signs. They're putting it on uh, aisle seatings in um, 
in uh, theaters and whatnot. They're, you know, for the numbers and the rows mm-hmm. and whatnot. And uh, the the one thing that Undark was really super popular for was watch faces during World War One because the uh, just the nature of trench warfare at the time made pocket watches uh, not suitable for that uh, for those conditions. So they wanted to give uh, soldiers something that they could not only strap to their wrist, that being the wristwatch, but they were also um, painting undark on the clock face so that they could tell the time in the dark with uh, while be- being able to uh, maintain their like, you know, the, just being discreet. It was a discreet way of telling time without giving away your position. And to get all these clock faces painted, uh, they had to employ people, and those people ended up being the Radium Girls. A company called U.S. Radium Corps, which operated radium mines in Colorado and Utah, had found a very different use for the element. They used radium to formulate a luminescent paint they called Undark. Interestingly, the success story of U.S. Radium Corporation's new glow-in-the-dark paint began in the muddy trenches of Europe during the First World War. You see, the old-fashioned pocket watches soldiers carried were totally unsuited to the battlefields. The timepieces would fall out of pockets and be easily crushed and, more importantly, couldn't be read in the dark of night. The solution to the first problem was simple. Watch companies started putting straps on their timepieces. But they also needed a way to make the watch face visible enough to be read at night without being easily detectable by the enemy. The answer, of course, was the pale greenish glow of the oh-so-catchy Undark. After American troops joined the war in Europe, the U.S. Radium Corporation's factory in Orange, New Jersey won a contract to supply radium-dialed watches to the military. The factory employed droves of teenage girls and young women as dial painters, who would be tasked with painting the tiny numbers and lines of the watch faces with undark paint. The company believed that women's small and delicate hands would be better suited for the meticulous job. And by 1920, it was reported that about 300 girls were employed at the plant. Each worker was expected to paint 250 dials a day, five and a half days a week, and earned about $20 per week at a rate of one and a half cents per completed dial. At the time, this was an excellent opportunity for the girls who flocked to work there, some as young as 11. Dial painting paid far more than any other factory job and was considered the elite job for the poor working girls. In fact, those lucky enough to land a job there ranked in the top 5% of female workers nationally. But it wasn't long until the Radium Girls, as they later became known, discovered the terrifying truth. Yeah, so I mean, it was kind of a it was kind of a big deal to be one of these uh, one of these radium girls because not only are you helping the war effort, but you're making a fairly decent wage for the time. And uh, the best part is this huge radium craze that's growing. You are right here beside the source, so you know you got excess paint left over at the end of the day. What are you going to do with it? You're going to put it on your teeth. You're going to put it in your eyebrows. You're going to paint your clothes with it you're gonna wear your best clothes actually to work so that you can paint your uh paint your outfits with it 
I also think like as not just the you know the pay and stuff on it, but it was also like a bragging right because you had to have really nice penmanship, no doubt, to paint onto these faces. So being able selected because you were able to write really nicely was part of the huge thing too. And uh, I mean, this is watch faces that we're dealing with. So you're dealing with a with a just the like the most minuscule amount of bristles. How do you get your your brush tight enough to paint these watch faces? You shove it in your mouth. You shove it in your mouth. <laughs> this is the lip dip paint technique. At the factory, the girls were taught to slip their paintbrushes between their lips to shape them into a fine point before dipping them back into the undark paint. It was known as the lip dip paint technique. The girls were assured that the paint was perfectly safe. After all, it was being promoted elsewhere as a health supplement, so many of the workers actually considered the radium-laced paint to be a perk of the job. Soon, they earned themselves the ominous nickname, the Ghost Girls, because of the way their clothes, and even their bodies, had a faint glow after they left the factory each night. Many of the women took advantage of the perk and would even wear their best dresses to the plant so they'd shine in the dance halls in the evening. During their breaks, the girls played with the paint without a care in the world. They sprinkled it in their hair to make their curls twinkle. They brightened their nails with it. One girl even painted her teeth with Undark to give herself a Cheshire Cat-style grin. None of them considered the dangers of handling and ingesting countless doses of radioactive poison because radium had been hailed as a miracle ingredient. Safe and effective. I, I I just had to say it. It's safe and effective. Come on. What are you talking about? Come on, man. Totally safe and effective. Yeah. You don't trust the science? Literally everybody is using this. You're crazy. This is the this is a huge perk. This this is this is how you know you got it made. Trust the science. <laughs> uh so where does that put us off? Um it turns out that uh Sadly, the good times don't last. While the radium girls poisoned themselves in blissful ignorance, the all-male management and scientists at the company made no secret of their understanding of radium's toxic truth. They used lead screen, masks, and tongs to ensure that they never came into contact with radium or the paint that contained it. In fact, when the inventor of Undark, Dr. Sabin A. Von Sashoki, visited the factory and saw one of the women putting the paintbrush to her lips, he reportedly told her to stop, saying it'll make you sick. But when the woman asked her manager about the comment, he dismissed the scientist's warning. Radium was deadly, and they knew it. People had died from radium poisoning before the first dial painter ever picked up her brush. But there was money to be made, and the women, it seemed, were disposable. It took years until the workers started experiencing mysterious health issues. Ugh, those scummy scientists. Uh, and I, that, that is one of the more disturbing elements, I feel, to this story that, uh, uh, naturally, management and all the people in the know are in the know, and they don't bother to tell anybody else that's not in the know what they need to know in order to protect themselves. It's good old-fashioned capitalism. Uh, I mean, I don't... Maybe. 
I just, I don't, I don't know if the, I just think it's a scummy thing to do. Well, right. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily a one monetary system that's pushing it. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, sell watch faces. The other way to not sell watch faces is, you know, if they were sitting there and telling them, you know, this is safe and effective and getting them to push their quotas out so that they could make a buck when they knew that this would be killing many of them, if not all of them. And I would, I would more, I would more so label that as corporatism, uh, less so than capital capitalism. Um, sure. I mean, meet at the middle, just downright greed at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The evil of men's hearts and women's hallelujah. Uh, so we should, um, we should probably, uh, get into at least some of the details, uh, as to what the radium girls could expect when it came to symptoms and conditions. Uh, this is a, it gets a little not safe for life. If you're someone that's a little on the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not wheezy, queasy. Uh, this can be a little gratuitous to say the very least this is uh this is from my favorite alphabet soup agency on the youtube's infographics honeycombed some began to lose weight and didn't have the energy to get out of bed next their teeth came out one by one their jaws rotted so much that the lower and top halves just broke this would later be termed radium jaw which means necrosis of the jaw and it was a sight to see this was happening because the body treats the radium as if it were calcium, and so the radium was deposited in the bone marrow. Unlike calcium, it doesn't strengthen bones, but over time degrades them, so much so they become brittle and eventually destroyed. The first death came in 1922, and the victim was named Molly Magia. She had to leave the factory after she came down with something that had perplexed doctors. She went to the dentist first, where after complaining of a toothache, the dentist pulled two teeth which seemed to come out with ease. What shocked him more, though, were the ulcers all over her mouth, which were bright red and oozing pus. Molly went back to the doctor and told him she ached all over, after which he told her she had rheumatism and handed her some aspirin. He also noticed that her breath smelled horrible, as if her mouth was rotting away. She returned to the dentist, and he was horrified to see her teeth coming out with the slightest touch. His shock turned to horror when he prodded her jaw and it broke in his fingers. A few days later, and her entire lower jaw was gone. Her mouth soon filled with blood, the result of an unstoppable hemorrhage, and she died. The cause of death? Well, the death certificate said syphilis. Of course, it's a sexually transmitted disease that took him out. Whores! Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, but yes, it would cause the bone to become so brittle. I mean, the radium is taking the place of the calcium inside of the body. It's it's stripping out the calcium and inserting itself into that uh, into that bone material. And um, very, very, very painful. Uh, just yeah. your to have your whole jaw disintegrate. Uh, it's no good. Um, do you have any any thoughts or opinions on that one way or the other? It just, I mean, horrifying. Like <laughs> this is, I can't imagine the pain, especially. I've. I mean, I don't know if... Are we getting to the play or not? 
Uh, we can talk about the play, sure. Uh, I, I, don't I, just, have any, I don't have any clips or anything, but... Right, I just remember specifically one of the characters describing, like, the pain in her feet and legs to move, and, like, I think her leg snaps at one point on the stage. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. And, you know, to A, not have any idea of what's happening to you, but as we'll come to find out, it was not an easy process. Uh, I don't know if discovery is the right word, but this whole uh, trial and tribulations that they had as they tried to A, figure out what was going on with them, and B, uh, find the restitution from U.S. Radium Corps and other companies. Oh, yeah. I mean, the lawsuits that came after that is insane. Yep. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll continue on here. This is this clip highlights uh, just how severe the radium poisoning wa uh, was. When a person ingests radium directly, the body channels it in a similar way to calcium. Some is metabolized away, some goes to nerve and muscle function, while most is deposited directly into the bones. But unlike calcium, which builds bone tissue, radium kills it causing the skeleton itself to crumble. As the Curies had discovered, radium has a half-life of 1,600 years, meaning that once it takes hold of the bones, it emits constant destructive radiation long after the person who once inhabited them has died. One of the dial painters, Grace Fryer, who started working at the factory at the age of 18 in 1917, suffered the same symptoms as many of the women before her. Luckily, a new doctor named Frederick Flynn said he had heard about the suffering and offered to study her worsening condition. But after a hasty exam, he declared that Fryer was actually in perfect health. Later, it would be revealed that Flynn was nothing but a sham doctor hired by U.S. Radium to squash emerging speculation about the life-threatening effects of radium poisoning. Hired scientist? What? How is this possible? It's never happened. I, I am dumbfounded. Do you know? Shocked. Is this part of your stuff? Um, so they said that like the body. I I didn't know this part that the body still emits the radio radium after. What well, did it say? Six hundred years. Sixteen hundred years is 1600 the half life. Years. Okay, yeah. so what did they do with like what have they done with the bodies? You got to put them in lead lined caskets. You know that's a uh, uh, Radithor guy, the the uh, golfer millionaire that was drinking two bottles a day. He was buried in a lead lined casket. Gotcha. Uh, and we'll actually we'll we'll uh, I got a clip here in a little bit. It's towards the end. It mm. actually tells you um, how the U.S. Radium Corps approached the bodies. Um, it's very, very, very disturbing. There's a lot. I'm not trying to go super hard like, oh, you know, look at the way that scientists approached radium and then look at the way that they approached 2020. Um, I'm not going to go super ham and just, you know, bore everybody to death. But there are definitely, in my humble opinion, a lot of parallels between having these bot scientists, uh, having the... The collective saying, yeah, you know, this is wonderful for us. This is highly safe and highly effective. You know, you'll, you'll be better in the long run for trusting this particular brand of science. Uh, it's a very scientism, I guess, story overall. Uh, but we'll, we'll continue on with the next clip. 
A chief medical examiner from Essex County named Harrison S. Martland was launching his own investigation into U.S. radium's practices. He reopened Amelia Maggia's case and tested her aging bones to find that every piece of bone and tissue he examined glowed with radioactivity. If a dead woman's bones could sparkle with radiation long after she went to the grave, there was no doubt that the surviving radium girls' bones glowed too. In his final examination of the living dial painters, he discovered a terrifying fact. The women were exhaling radon gas. As radium decayed within the skeleton, the gas diffused in the bloodstream was carried into the lungs and exhaled to drift away. These findings provided the first clues that the women were all indeed suffering from radium sickness. In 1925, Martland detailed these principles of radiation poisoning in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Just to, to, to be, you know, to have that on your breath, <laughs> radioactive material on your breath. This is the, uh, the Godzilla atomic fire. Right, well, yeah, and I guess that's still kind of like going off of the question I had before. Now we have, you know, people walking about that are emitting radioactive what was the gas yeah it was uh it was diffusing from the the bloodstream into the lungs right so is that like a quote-unquote public health crisis in itself or i mean i guess is it enough to actually start affecting other people i uh you know there was a um do, do you remember that really cheesy show a thousand ways to die yeah. Uh, there was one of the Radium Girls that they covered. Uh, I don't have it clipped, but um, they they detailed how both her and uh, her partner were using a little bit of Radium for some sexy time, and then it turns out that they both um, got cancered and, and died from it. What do you uh, use it for sexy time for? Besides condoms. <laughs> well, I mean, you literally put that shit on anything. Radium lube. <laughs> Just draw out like enter here signs or something or gross. <laughs> it glows in the dark. <laughs> uh God. Um so yeah, they so the radium girls, they were having a lot of issues finding doctors that would be on their side. You know, A, could they even de determine what was wrong with them? And B, had the US Radium Co uh, Corporation and others uh, already gotten to them and either bought them off or threatened them. Um, and uh, here's where we get into the legal proceedings. They it took them. I think I think U.S. Radium Corps ended up ap appealing the lawsuit eight different times, and the Radium Girls beat them in court eight separate times. Then, in November 1928, Von Sashoki, the inventor of Undark, became the next known victim of radium paint poisoning. His death helped prove the Radium Girls' case, and it was finally settled out of court by the end of that year. Each of the surviving women received $10,000, over $150,000 in today's money, as well as a $600 per year annuity and the payment of all their existing medical and legal expenses. But it didn't come without a catch. 
In return, U.S. Radium would admit to no legal wrongdoings for their actions. In fact, the president of U.S. Radium, Clarence Lee, wrote, We unfortunately gave work to a great many people who were physically unfit to procure employment in other lines of industry. Cripples and persons similarly incapacitated were engaged. What was considered an act of kindness on our part has since been turned against us. Talk about keeping things classy. The money the Radium Girls won could only pay for their own funerals because all five women would be dead by the mid-1930s. But their deaths were not in vain. The New Jersey Radium Girls volunteered to let scientists study them during their last days so that the world could learn more about the dangerous effects of radium poisoning. Grace Fryer even reportedly said, It is not for myself I care. I am thinking more of the hundreds of girls to whom this may serve as an example. And she was right. In total, it is estimated that 112 former dial painters succumbed to exposure to radium. That was uh, over, the, the number was 300. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's right around, that's not quite half, but <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty big chunk. <laughs> there ain't nothing to sneeze at by any means. And, you know, we did nothing wrong. You can't hold us liable. It sounds like a very other familiar lawsuit. J&J? &J? Uh, Purdue, I was going for, but P sure. Purdue, yeah. Any of them. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tale as old as time. Mm -hmm. And they, what, what is it about the science class that gives them this indemnity? Where they can't, I mean, so U.S. Radium Corps, they, they ended up folding eventually. It took a couple of years, but the FDA finally said like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't put this radium product out into the, into the market. Uh, there's a lot of people getting sick. Miners are getting sick uh, out in Colorado and uh, Utah and whatnot. And, uh, you know, this is a, just to remind everybody, this is a U.S. defense contractor at the time. They're only, quote-unquote, making watch dial faces, uh, allegedly, legend has it, in Minecraft. Um, but, you know, they're still on the government payroll. And even after the radium fell out of favor with the public as a whole, the U.S. Army still turned to these guys and, and was getting the zinc-cadmium sulfide from them. So, it's just, it's a, it's a very, it's a vicious cycle. Vicious circle. Um, now, do you know what came out of this whole thing? Do, do you know the organization that was founded because of these girls? I don't. Oh, you're going to like this one. Their case was one of the first in which an employer was held responsible for the health of their employees, and their fight ultimately won workers the right to sue for damages from corporations. In fact, the case eventually led to the U.S. government creating the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to ensure safe working conditions for all workers. The health and safety protocols developed as a result of the Radium Girls' case is also sometimes directly credited for saving the lives of the scientists who would later work on the atom bomb. 
As for U.S. radium, the company went bankrupt in the 1940s. Unsurprisingly, in 1979, the United States Environmental Protection Agency found the former site of its manufacturing plant to be extremely contaminated, and it became a Superfund site, which gives EPA the funds and authorities to provide a proper cleanup operation. Mm -hmm. OSHA, everybody's favorite. Occupational safety hazards applications, whatever the e Yeah, that one. You, get, you got it, dude. <laughs> you got it, dude. Uh, OSHA, they, they formed OSHA because of these girls. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So crazy. And, uh, just to, to see the ways that OSHA was utilized last year as sort of the linchpin, um, strong army of people into, you know, you have to take this vaccination in order to maintain your status in the workplace. You know, whether we outright fire you or, you know, we'll test you and mask him and all that, all that jazz. You know, OSHA was supposed to be here to protect us. What happened? <laughs> got nothing? I can't because my brain's got two thoughts colliding right now because but I don't want to speak incorrectly. Uh, on I, a I, podcast? I know. How dare I'm, you? It'll be on the internet forever. Forever. But it was something, wasn't it something more along the lines? Because, like, we live in a state where, I guess it was because of OSHA. Like, the OSHA laws were like, okay, yeah, that immediately puts that in effect. But there were some states that were like, no, the OSHA laws don't put that immediately in effect. So it was like, "Quote unquote," protecting people in some ways. Um, it was it was weird. I can't remember exactly what was going down. Yeah, I, you know, I, I we made a conscious decision for the show to like really kind of stay out of the vaccination stuff, just right. because it, you know, it it gets redundant and it never solves anything. Just to sit there and rehash the same uh, talking points mm -hmm. week after week after week. Uh, so admittedly, I'm a little fuzzy on what the mechanisms were of OSHA wanting to, uh, or I should say the administration wanting OSHA to piggyback this, um, legislation in, um, I, I just, I, I, I don't remember. And I, unfortunately I'm not prepared enough with clips, right? Uh, but what I do have. And this would be the last stretch. Or uh, there's a there's a couple of uh, illustrations from back in the day that depicts the women's jaws. Uh, very grotesque. We got undark advertisements and magazines you can check out. Uh, some Thoradia uh, face cream. It's a base um, for your face. It makes you glow and look radiant in the dark. Um, I also got a news article, a, a snippet from uh, the May uh, May twenty ninth, uh, nineteen. Oh, I don't have the year here. Um, we got a newspaper clipping. Uh, but one of the other things that I found was clips from some of the surviving radium girls. What year do you think the last one died? If you had to pick a year, what year was it? Forty six. Nineteen forty six. Yeah. That is incorrect. Aww. 2014. Wow. So she must have been young. 
she was young and she only worked at the factory for a week. She did not like putting the bristles in her mouth because she thought the undark paint was gritty. <laughs> and they fired her for so it. So that saved her life, yeah. Basically. Basically. Um, but these, uh, this is from a, uh, a documentary called Radium City, I believe. I couldn't find the full thing, unfortunately, but I do have this clip. And we can actually hear from the women themselves what they were doing with the paint at the time. I worked in the biggest room because there were over 100 girls worked in that. And that's how you was taught every day. We never got time to talk. You were too busy to work. Because you wanted to do it good because you knew that you wouldn't pass. They let you do it about six weeks. And if you wasn't any good, you were dismissed. And the bosses worked downstairs a lot of time. So we just figured, well, we got a little radium left in our jars. We won't they're going to be well cleaned out we got to get new for starting after lunch so we take a sneak so we start clowning around go in the dark room paint our faces up and put mustaches and a couple of girls painted their ears and i just said i always did paint you know by my nostrils hair and done my eyebrows and done a mustache and a chin and one time we had one girl that even painted her teeth and, leave, and held her mouth open till it dried on there. See, it dried. And then the three of us, we went in the dark room to make faces at each other, see. And then you can. You don't see nothing, nobody. All you see is the radium. So all you're looking at is eyebrows and mustaches and your teeth. <laughs> Straight on the teeth. Ay, no good. No good. I think this is something Lavish and I were discussing last week. Of just imagine being alive in the early nineteenth, or excuse me, twentieth century. Turn of the century. Turn of the century. What a crazy time to be alive, right? Uh, and just having no concept of um, you know the scope of what you're dealing with and uh, how you're using it. Um, the next clip I have, it's more of the same. Honestly, it might be a little too depressing. It's just, um, it kind of highlights uh, a lot of the ways the bones ended up shrinking in some ways. Um, so some women needed uh, like back braces and stuff like that just to kind of help keep them straight. Um, but this last clip, I think, uh, really highlights just how far the corporations were willing to go my parents took her to a doctor in chicago he, talking about her sister he confirmed what they had thought it was but he says i cannot speak out and tell you because this would be the end of my career so there was really nothing they could do he went to a lawyer but evidently the lawyer was bought, bought off couldn't do nothing for us so daddy said well just forget it he said we won't go any further and like she was put over in, in the company's doctor's, his hospital. And we had no say whatsoever about that. They wouldn't let us there. They wouldn't let me yes, there. Yes, I went one mm -hmm. time and they wouldn't leave me go into a room. I had to stay in the hall and visit from the hall. And uh, she was there for about two weeks and passed away. And when she passed away, it was about two, three o'clock in the morning. And they wanted to take her body out and put it right into something where we don't know they wanted to bury it right now and my brother-in-law happened to be there and he says no way 
Is she going to be buried that way? She's a good Catholic girl, and she's going to have a, a mass and a whole funeral. They had this autopsy set for a certain time. When our doctor went, the autopsy had been performed an hour before he got there. And they said diphtheria. So, what does this tell you? So, yeah, they're buying off, or excuse me, not buying off the doctors in this case. They were actually threatening them, um, which is something that uh, I know Canada was experiencing a lot of last year uh, with certain doctors were getting threatened, uh, you know, were having their medical license threatened if they spoke out against any of the accepted treatments for COVID and so on and so forth. Um, but you also have them, the Radium Corps, refusing family members to come in and see these uh, these victims, you know, blocking them off, uh, which is still, in my opinion, one of, if not the most atrocious uh, acts committed on a nationwide scale during 2020 was uh, preventing family members from uh, seeing, uh, you know, seeing their family in the hospital. It's probably one of the most cruel things I think you could have done. Um, And then, you know, there you were kind of asking like, you know, what happened to their bodies? Well, radium core was trying to bury the evidence uh, as quickly as they could, essentially. You know, get their own doctors in there, call it syphilis, call it tuberculosis, call it whatever the fuck it is. Just get them, get them in here, get them out, get them in the ground. And, uh... So you were saying they were using lead uh, caskets, or lead-lined caskets at least. I can't imagine those were cheap at the time. Uh, well, you know, they did, most of them got the settlements from the, um, from the companies, plus a stipend to kind of help with the medical bills, the, the, the fees. So a lot of them, you know, they put that, uh, that settlement towards their funeral. Right. Now that, that is an assumption on my part. I think once they kind of figured out what was going on, I, I think they started putting them in lead line caskets or they mm. exhumed them after the fact. Um, I don't have a concrete answer one way or the other. Gotcha. Uh, but I do have this final clip. This is the last one from your boy. And this is kind of like the epilogue. To this day, if you run a Geiger counter over the graves of many of the women who died nearly 90 years ago, the needle will jump. Oh, so maybe maybe they didn't. Maybe. Uh, right. I don't know. I, I should have I should have uh, looked into that a little more. Hmm. Crazy. I think we have a we have a radioactive boost for uh, eleven fourteen. <laughs> Fire off that Geiger counter. Um. So that that's what I got uh, for the radium girls. Uh, it's uh turns out that this is a story that um has some certain parallels uh in. In some ways, and in other ways, it's uh, a wholly unique, horrible, one-of-a-kind, uh, or several-of-a-kind situations. It's fucked up, man. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's hard. I like, don't have a whole lot, really, to expand on on that one. It's just... You know... 
social craze turning into health crisis kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, years and years and years of stuff of that constantly happening. You know, you had that with the lead makeup and all of that. Asbestos. Right. Yeah, there's, you know, what what is on the market today? Um, and this is just a really gross generalization on my part. But, oh, God. Oh. I'm starting to feel a little sick to my stomach. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's that guy, uh, that's that, uh, what was the name of that boost? I forget. Oh, a glow-in-the-dark boost. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> that was uh, from Servo for uh, uh, eleven fourteen one thousand one hundred and fourteen. And uh, if you're looking in the chat, you'll actually see a little gif uh, pop up. You'll see a little glow in the dark person. Maybe we should change that to a lady and get the get some radium girl representation going in the chat room. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think that's uh that's all I got on the on the subject at hand. Uh, perhaps we cleanse the palate with a voicemail or two. Okie dokie. Would you rather be in jail or live in China? China. I want to hear your answer first. Depends on where in China. Hmm. Uh, I actually have a friend of mine who lived in northern China for many years, and he said it's a very nice place to be. Um, But I really don't know Mandarin, so that would be hard. Mm. Yeah, I I think the... um their COVID COVID lockdown measures are a little intense for my for my taste. Are they still? I I guess I have not been. They still got the crazy fucking drones going around, uh, oh. announcing lockdowns. Um, you know, there's no shortage of videos of uh, people being um, forcibly quarantined in apartments or being collected, uh, for that matter. Gotcha. Uh, they got those the the Boston Dynamic dogs with um, loudspeakers on them. <clears throat> so you know, just going around saying like, oh, you know, this area is locked down. There's a lot of uh, uh, food issues because people are locked in um, and they're not able to get to grocery stores or whatnot. A lot of protests. I'd actually seen this crazy video of a. It was a dude with fireworks and he was fighting off a big backhoe that was coming in to like take down his property because he wouldn't like oh. stay in his uh stay isolated right um that was a crazy fucking video yeah i mm. yeah like servo said like if you get like i said like the northern part of the country where you get more into the rural areas and you get a little more out and secluded. Might not be so bad. Yeah, if if you could find an area that was not under the constant watchful gaze of the Communist Party of China, I would be more on board. And that's pop. I mean, that exists. Uh, I know just from my research of way back Mao Zedong and the wild and child policy, like a lot of the rural areas were not following those at all because the government basically had no reach out there. Right. 
Oh, God. It goes again. It was a super radioactive episode. Yeah, stop putting that shit on your dick, dude. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but it's safe and effective. <laughs> and it's great mm-hmm. for my for my complexion, okay? Uh, another... We have two more. Maybe we should save them for... Or do, would you like to hear one more? Oh, we can do one more. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. To behind the screams. It's a Monday. Oh, it's Where's a- Love Ash? And Booberry Nightman of the Dusty Trails. <laughs> and, uh, some gal that I didn't catch her name because I didn't, 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 didn't notice. And then I went to go check if you guys were still going live, but I only heard for a second. And there's a female voice and don't recognize. So, her too. Anyway. Uh,. Yeah, when when one family member's got uh, another family member and they got some medical stuff going on, and you're just like, ah! it's just kind of the impact for everybody and and whatnot. So, been praying for that person. But anyway, all right, well, bad that. Have a wonderful day, cause it is, and uh, love the guys and whoever the gal is, and uh, stay dangerous. And, uh, cacao! 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 That's one for each of you. You gotta chop it up and uh, separate it and divide it between you guys. So, alright. Adio. Comrade Christopher Battles. Uh, Comrade Christopher Battles, sounds like you should get that cacao on the value split and you can split it right down the, right down the middle for everybody. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for your call, Christopher Battles. Uh, you are listening to Lightbright, who is my fiance, and she has joined us uh, in in Lavish's stead for uh, for the evening. Um, I can't. Are you sticking around for second second half? What do you think? Uh, we can chat intermission. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll save this other voicemail that we had for when we come back. Let me. Uh, oh, we got some images. Oh, what? <laughs> Oh, I got the image of blood in my eye. God. Who was that? Who did that? Who was that? That was Sir Sir Seat Sitter mm-hmm. <laughs> 66, 66 saying user error. Nice. <laughs> I'm so do you do you know how much I've been working on Sir Sir Seat Sitter to get him onboarded into boosting and podcasting 2.0? Uh, a lot yeah okay <laughs> this is this is it feels feels good man oh okay feels real good <laughs> um very cool very legal uh that just leaves us at intermission i suppose um do you uh do you have anything uh, is there anything that you want to plug plug <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean why why would I why would nah, I give you any I'm just a simple girl with a lot of house plants and my crochet projects. I don't have much to plug. Mm, yes, lots of pl- I've been trying to get uh, Lightbright to do a plant podcast. Plant cast. Um so, we'll see. You know, maybe uh maybe at intermission I can warm you up to an Alpi wallet. <laughs> 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 Probably not. 
Mm. Well, this is crack cocaine. That's what you get. <laughs> you get crack cocaine. You get paid in crack cocaine. I mean, won't complain there. That's got street value. Hey, oh. Drinking a quart of vodka a day and smoking crack around the clock. <laughs> nice. Um, well, cool. Uh, if you don't end up coming back, thank you very much for hanging out. Uh, when we get back to the second second half of show, we'll be getting into the history of chemical warfare. But until then, I hope you all enjoy this intermission. We got um, we have some music that is very very topical for the conversations at hand tonight. So I hope uh, everybody appreciates it. We'll be back. Bye bye. See Princess Pistol, too busy guzzling his tense wiener schnitzel. Pop the cap in his ass for my black hand brothers. Shave off that tash, it's bigger than your mother's. Now, just like your bald head, you ain't got no air. I spit rhyme as your empire decline. Have you any notion of United Slav Nation? You catch my drift or do you want a translation? Serbia got friends, yo. Russia's our homie. Think we're scared? Here's two words for you Blow me. We bring the pain, love. Blood spilled in Sarajevo, gonna cause a bloodbath, yo. Russians, Mongols, Turks, my bitches. Best watch out, cause my trigger finger itches. You're tiresome, you're irksome. Like a Slavic Jeremy Clarkson. Huh? Who the hell is that? Nothing to do with us. Back to the story, the story of doom. For poor tiny Serbia's about to go boom. You hear me, assassin? Our troops are massing. Get ready for the bombing, the shooting, the gassing. Here is the deal, yo. She just got real, yo. You'll be crushed under Austro-Hungary's heel, yo. I'll kick you in the Balkans at the great Belgrade. Even if those Russians are rushing to your aid. You think so? Joseph, Serbia's our brethren. Same blood, same religion, same Slavic complexion. We're packing more army than you got salami. So stop your bragging, your trolling. Or the Cossack pain train starts rolling. Last time you kicked off, I sweat revolution. This time my solution is your dissolution. Beware, the Russian bear. Everyone knows me, ya. Kaiser, ya. I gasp, but like the Godfather's a sequel kicks ass Got clowns to the west of me and jokers to the east But Austro-Hungary is my mate Gonna eradicate the Serbian beast So back off cars and nick Don't take some mick And tell your mates France not to interfere This ain't no France, it's a German war dance (laughs) 
Most respected men in WWE, John Cena, the multi-time champ. Oh, 
Fox Hunter blows his horn. I fell in love with a girl from the town. I thought that she would be true. I ran away to Charlottesville and worked in a sawmill or two. Гром, план Вильгельма обречен Объединенные войной Решив, что будет легкий бой Немцы выпустили газ Сотни душ прибрав за раз И вдруг увидели бойцы Как снова встали мертвецы Их всех рвет Знал исход Они шли
Как ушел мертв отряд Они шли, чтоб победить Что мертво, кто уже не убить Что совет, смерть, тупый яд Как ушел мертв отряд Они шли, чтоб победить Что мертво, кто уже не убить Что совет, смерть, тупый яд Как ушел мертв отряд Они шли, чтоб победить Что мертво, кто уже не убить Что совет, смерть, тупый яд Как ушел мертв отряд Они шли, чтоб победить We now return to Behind the Scenes Starring Uberry, 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 Uberry Welcome back to second second half of show for Behind the Schemes, episode 116. It is still September 12th, 2022, and I remain Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And I'm still here, bitch. It's Nice. Yes. Surprise. You were so enthralled by the riveting... Surprise. Com- <laughs> surprise. Surprise. Uh, you were so enthralled that uh, you couldn't get enough. You had to come back. Well, it's a science episode. You gotta learn me. Learn. I need to learn. Damn straight. <laughs> that was weird. What? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever want to get weird on this show. Too far. Too far. Too far. Too far. Uh, so this is the part of the show where we like to take a moment to thank all of the people that came out and helped produce this episode. We like to refer to these people as freaks of hazards and we have a couple of people that uh we would like to thank for tonight uh first off was coffee von dust bubble with their monthly donation of three dollars and 33 cents well thank you very much for that we really appreciate the monthlies that's uh that's gonna go towards stuff that you know reoccurring bills that are are always popping up so on and so forth and uh, we also had a new face uh, with a donation of $13.33. And they had a note this time. Oh. oh. That's the black light. Close your eyes. And maybe your mouth. Mm-hmm. Let me get that switch. Oh. Jesus. I don't know why we put so many of those in here. I don't know what we were that, thinking. That was a lot of wattage coming out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to be glowing after that one. <laughs> yeah. It's the new radium. That's the new radium, indeed. And that was a servo with 36,500 uh, 36, saying, well, Thank you very much for that one, servo. <laughs> I forget what the gift for this one is. Ah, yes, it's a bunch of uh, sexy dancers and black lights. Uh, that's uh, that's what you'll see when a uh, gal drops the the uh, the gifts there. I'm surprised you didn't do uh, skeletons. I, you know, that's interesting. I guess I could go rip that video from uh, Bush Gardens. It would be easy enough to do, I suppose. Yeah, uh, she's referring to. Um, there was this uh, song and dance routine in one of the shows at the theme park that we worked at together, and uh, they would have skeletons come out. You know, they would be dressed in all black, and they'd have the white skeleton facade with some wildfires, which are really nice high-end uh, black light fixtures. And, uh, you know, you get the dancing skeleton gag. Pretty good stuff. Or you could do my picture from the uh, 
Circo Sinestro. Mm. Well, the idea is I'm, I'm trying to find uh, images, um, or uh, excuse me, not images, GIFs specifically. Ah, gotcha. So if we had video, uh, which I'm sure there is on the Bush Gardens page, right? video from that Circo Sinestro, what, 2016? 15? 15. 16. 16. 16. 16. Yep. I don't know. Numbers. <laughs> uh, but we, we had a note. It's not the math episode. <laughs> yeah, this is not the math episode. <laughs> um, we had a, a, a nude freak of hazard show up with a $13 and 33 cent uh, donation. And they had a note this, that reads ITM this lovely evening boys redacted here at bear in giants new to the NA social community, just going around popping my cherries for the NA stream shows. I love, and it's BTS's turn sending you the $13 and 33 pay, uh, cent PayPal this evening. If I weren't on NAS, I would have never known about the live Bowls with Buds featuring Sir, 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 Seat Sitter. So I tune in, and what the fuck do I hear? The BTS boys are on there, too. Finally, I gotta say, since you gents are a huge part of it, one of the biggest reasons I wanted in on NAS was to vote in the Battle of the Douchebags. Um... So I'll see you silly cunts at the next one. Boobs and lavish, stay freaky, and thank you for your god dang courage. Redacted slash bear and giant. Well, thank you very much for the note. We appreciate that, bear and giant. Thank you for popping that cherry with us tonight. And uh, we will definitely see you for uh, Battle of the Douchebags, uh, episode eight and nine. Uh, I think we only got two more left. Of season one. Of se- well, Sir Sir Seedsitter is going on the record now and saying that he thinks he might want to retire this. Oh. Um, so we we will see. We will see because, I mean, I, I can kind of see, like, we already have a, a huge amount of douchebags. And you've actually kind of helped me uh, pick a couple of them, like Trisha Paytas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she should have gone so much farther. I know. Justice for Trisha. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> what? But I like to think I'm Asian, and not only that, I have a samurai sword, which proves that I love the Japanese. Arigato, <laughs> little fishies. I'm a literal podcaster. <laughs> huh? <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we... Uh, we definitely look forward to having you uh there for the votes bayer and giant it's gonna be a good time i'm looking forward to it uh and then uh i think that was we had uh the art which i'll get uh updated in the show notes but we had some art show up from mm-hmm. from fletcher and then we had some art actually sent in via the text line and i will uh drop that oh god right into the chats here in a second as soon as i wipe myself Oh, it just goes. Oh, that is a lot of goats. That is that was oh three, those poor little guys. Yeah. Oh boy, mm-hmm. these goats. Satan sass. <laughs> I can give you my heart. Mm-hmm. Listen to that horn. <laughs> God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the business. We call this foreshadowing. 
Whoa. That's hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just raining goat blood. Walking them in. Just mm-hmm. one at a time. Just the the way they line themselves up. We're gonna make some gyros. <laughs> Nothing but gyro meat for the next three mm-hmm. months. He's into Satanism. How about that shit? Uh, yeah, good old Hollywood tricks. Wow. Gauza, indeed. <laughs> uh, we should go through and count all these. Uh, these are coming in from the known goat-boosting maniac himself, Pitar. He's using Curiocaster. Boosting the live tag. That's right. You can boost live episodes, uh, which I should say, kudos to Podverse and Mitch. Uh, if you are listening to this show with Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google, please stop. Go download Podverse. Uh, you can download Fountain. I like the Podverse a lot. You're going to see tons of shit that Apple and Spotify are actively denying from you. There is material in this show that they are hiding from you. So go download Podverse and check it out. But we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven goats from Pitar. Baker's dozen. A <laughs> Baker's dozen. That's not right though. It's thirteen. Close enough. Yeah. Rounded up. I think we had a couple of uh, corpses left over from last week we can throw in. Oh, perfect. Oh my goodness. And we had another boost for 3333 out of Fountain. This comes from Fletcher. He says, squirt it into your mouth. And he's got some uh, some show art here for us. Let's check this out, shall we? I can't find it amongst all the goats. <laughs> here. Uh, I think if we just oh, kick this I one, like that. Kick it to the side. Oh, uh, yeah. The, with the purple and the Moloch. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's on that AI, mid-journey AI bot train. It's got some really nice stuff. Yeah, that's nice. Yep, nice font. I like that one a lot too. Very cool, very legal. Uh, and Pizar does correct uh, does correct the record. It should be thirteen that Baker's dozen. Yeah. So you might have had one fail uh, right there at the end. It's quite possible. Indeed. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that I think rounds it out for everybody that we had to thank uh thank tonight this is a value for value production meaning that uh you can make this exactly the type of show that you uh that you want to hear you just gotta reach out and help produce it you know what i'm saying and uh i suppose we could do another voicemail here would that uh interest you let's do it let's do it oh yeah you want to go gravy wrestling brother do you? Oh, yeah. Bring me some of that fucking gravy. Oh, yeah. Ah. Ah. <laughs> I just made my own gravy, brother. Especially if you squirt it into your mouth. <laughs> yeah, man. Milk it. <laughs> Milk the gravy train, caller. Oh, oh yeah. listens, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, what you think you know about gravy, son? We're going to take it now to the next level. Oh, yeah. And that is the level. 
Behind the schemes, you're calling yourself. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Uh, we got one other uh, voice. I think we'll save it till till the end of the show, perhaps. And that way we got uh, something to end the show on, oh, as suspenseful. they say. I know. Uh, we try here. We really do. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that takes care of business. Uh, perhaps uh, we get into the material for the second second half of show. Shall we? Yes, oh, yeah. that was Midian, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so this is, a, this is a continuation from last week. We had briefly touched on the subject matter of one Clara Haber, 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 uh, or Amerwar. Um, and she was a chemist uh, born in Poland, and I think she's an incredibly fascinating character because she is at the heart of the birth of chemical warfare during World War One. Are you ready for this journey? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, do you have Do you have any? Um, I guess. Uh, um, how How deep does your knowledge well go for World War One? Uh, not Not so much. I was telling you yesterday. That's the not fun war. So. <laughs> That's the boring one, is what I said yesterday. <laughs> Don't chastise me too much, everybody, but, yeah. Well, you gotta, uh, so World War One is, like, the, like, the, the reveal of real industrial mass murder on that scale. I mean, just, like, chewing up right. bodies. This is the, uh, um, you know, this is the big one, the great one, the war to end all wars, allegedly. Legend has it in Minecraft, um... And one of the more brutalizing aspects of World War One was the nature of trench warfare, um, because uh, early on in the war, both both the uh, Germans and, and French and um, and English and uh, along the the Western Front, they entrenched themselves in, in literal trenches to maintain control over the land. So. You know, they could be battling for months at a time and only gain like a meter at a time. And you're just chewing through bodies. Uh, it, and it's super, uh, you know, it's a really, the idea of no man's land. I mean, it's a, a literal cesspit of bodies and rubble and sewage and rats and all sorts of crazy shit. And, uh, you know, these soldiers are in the midst of it. They're stuck there with their little radium watches. At least they can tell the time in the dark. Um, Too soon. But this is a, this is the real like mechanization of war. You got, um, you know, uh, like high, uh, high caliber cannons being deployed like crazy you know, uh, batteries, art artillery, um, modern firearms or uh, a plentiful, but one thing that really took off was uh, chemical warfare, and this is this is kind of a, a prelude into what led up into. Uh oh, why won't you do the? Hmm. We might have to pause here for a second because I got a clip that is not wanting to play, and I'm not sure what that's about. Stand by. If you know a joke, <laughs> help me out. <laughs> Baby seal walks into a club. Ah, I love that joke. It's one of my favorites. 
Um, let's see if we can. I'm gonna try and play it from here. Okay. When war broke out in 1914, the German High Command was confident that Britain and France would soon be defeated. It would all be over by Christmas. But by winter, a line of trenches stretched from the Channel to Switzerland. Total stalemate. Neither side could break through. One of Germany's leading scientists, Fritz Haber, offered the fatherland a way out of the impasse. My father was first and foremost a German. I think originally, probably, science was more important than Germany. But once you come to the First World, World War period, I think then it became Germany. You know, how do you defeat your enemies? What can you think of? What can you contribute, you as a scientist? What's your contribution going to be? It's kind of a... It's an eerie foreshadowing right there, that whole concept of what is your contribution going to be? And um, I actually have a, a, an ISO here of a Fritz Harbor uh, quote. Fritz Harbor once said, A scientist belongs to all mankind in times of peace, but to his country in times of war. How do you think this is going to end? I don't think it's going to end well. <laughs> not gonna go so hot um so at this time uh the german high command and a lot of the sentiment of the army is that this is still um this is still a time of chivalrous war you know gentleman's war you would see that a lot during uh, something like the american revolution it's not about just slaughtering the bodies and uh getting the higher body count it's more about controlling the land um you know you're 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 showing up to the battlefield with respect for your enemy. So, like, you're not actively trying to uh, take out commanders and, and things of that nature, at least during the American Revolution. Um, and this sentiment was still being carried on by the 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 general German army uh, population. You know, they wanted this to be something like, you know, we're going to win this with, like, with the real grit in our teeth. You know, a real, a real gentleman's war. And uh, it 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 took Fritz a, a, a little bit of time to finally get everybody to warm up to him and uh, what he had to bring to the battlefield. So what does a what does a man do? What does a scientist man do? He goes out and he goes and makes a weapon. He possibly foresaw. And we're uh, this is uh, Fritz's daughter that we're listening to here in this clip. He possibly foresaw that it wouldn't be an easy war to win. I think the gas, this seemed an inexpensive way in which you might damage or kill quite a number of enemy troops. Harbour knew that each day the chemical industry produced tons of poison gas as a byproduct. In his laboratory, he searched for ways to apply these gases to the battlefield. Harbour set about testing like a man inspired. In his Berlin Institute, founded by Kaiser Wilhelm, he began to research an asphyxiating gas widely used in the dye industry, chlorine. Across the lawn at his home just opposite, 
he faced bitter opposition from an unexpected source. His wife Clara was also a chemist. She was convinced that science and war were morally incompatible, however noble the cause. For Clara, chemical warfare was a perversion of science. She had rendered her service, uh, her oath on science in 1900 as the first woman to get a PhD in chemistry um, at the Breslau University. And uh, at that moment, she had sworn to use science only to the benevolence of mankind and not to for the destruction of mankind. She, in fact, had very great moral doubts about the gas warfare and he really didn't pay any attention. It only took one clip, but we've already been introduced to a BAMF, a badass motherfucker, Clara. Uh, to me, uh, Clara gives me the same sort of wow factor that someone like uh, Jack Parsons would give me, if you're familiar with him. Like, I think, I think we should go get a portrait printed up or painted, excuse me, well, printed, what am I even saying? We should go get a portrait of Clara for the green room to hang up. I mean, that's how incredibly impressed I am uh, with this specific individual. Uh, you know, not only does she have the accolades of being the, the first uh, female chemist awarded a uh, PhD, um, she ended up winning Nobel Prizes with her husband, uh, although, unfortunately, he's a little bit of a patriarchal douche. So he ends up writing her off. You know, he's got, he's, uh, suffers from this. Well, you know, you're just a woman and these are just my children and you, your opinions have no, uh, place in my business. And he ended up calling her like a traitor to the fatherland at one point, uh, for not being supportive of his chemical weapon research. And it's just an all around shitty situation, but you can tell that she's got this, uh, she's got some, like, some moral chutzpah, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's got the stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that's necessarily as, I don't know, do you think this type of individual is as widely, um, is appreciated the right word? What am I, what am I looking for here? Um, do you think they still cut people out of this this cloth these days? I do. I just don't think that's what the quote-unquote sexy thing is. So, you just mean it may not see them. But, like, I definitely know people like that. Nice. It's, uh, you know, I think they're kind of rare individuals. At least for um, this specific class. <laughs> I guess I'm talking in classist terms now, but I have no issues in considering scientism and scientists part of the scientism class. Uh, and just a, another group like the clergy, like the politicians, like the businessmen. Sure. Uh, it is uh, uh, just one of, an, uh, of many of a facet that help uh, control these schemes, as it was, as it said. Uh, but what you got? What's, I was just gonna say, what's our class then? What's our what uh, peasants, termites? <laughs> oh, I was saying like you, me specifically. Are we the the help? No, we're the entertainment. Um, you know the the jester class. I was gonna say, are jesters still a thing? Yeah, 
The thems. The thems. The theys. Uh, and I, you know, speaking of termites, that just got me thinking I need to circle back and add it to the show notes, but Mary-Kate Ultra has a subset called The Great Unthinking. I believe it's marykateultra.substack.com. Um, but she had a really great article about the history of IQ test, which I know MoFax has covered relatively recent with Adam. Um, but one of the things that I learned is during the process of designing these tests that they were giving to, um, I think one of the first times that they deployed it on a, a wide scale was uh, they were testing IQs of war, uh, World War I recruits, actually. And during these um, studies, they referred to them as termites, hmm. which is, I think, on an esoterical, like, if you step far enough back and you think, like, okay, so they're they're calling these kids, because, you know, these guys are, like, 16, 17, 18 years old, heading over to do this crazy shit. You know, you're going to sit there and call them termites while they're st- stuck in the mud and getting gassed. It's... It's very, uh, <laughs> turns out that, uh, poor choice of words. Right. Uh, but we'll, we'll continue on here. Uh, this, uh, next clip gets into a little more on the gentleman's war. Aware of his wife's ethical objections, Harbour sought to keep his work a secret. But one day in December 1914, he could conceal his activities no longer. There'd been an explosion of poison gas in the lab. The dying man was Clara's great friend and former colleague, a chemist named Otto Secour. Clara had introduced him to her husband. From the moment she watched him die, her dislike of the research grew till it became total hatred. But her husband pressed on regardless. At the end of 1914, Harbour approached the military. He promised them chlorine gas would bring rapid victory. Germany was the only country that could produce it in the vast quantities required. But the high command was not convinced. The chiefs of staff agreed on the potential of chemical warfare, but it went against their military traditions. Germany had signed the Hague Convention, banning the use of gas in war. This early in the conflict, they held back from breaking an international agreement they were still clinging on to their chivalrous ideals. On the army's test site near Cologne, Harbour showed the high command the murderous power of his new invention. The first um, field tests happened to be here at this area where we are standing right now. Clara was with him and since her inner attitude was against these tests, uh, I think that her desperation must have increased uh, from day to day. Harbour the Patriot was unmoved. He showed that if the wind blew in the right direction, gas from the cylinders would blow towards enemy lines, killing or maiming all in its path. The war dragged on. As more and more Germans were caught up, the generals set their scruples aside. Early in 1915, they decided to use Harbour's new weapon. Assigned a military rank, Harbour helped the high command supervise the gas corps. Uh, so I actually have here, if I can uh, find the clip, uh, this one. This is an account from one of the British uh, soldiers he, as he witnessed, I, I believe it was uh, the French troops um, 
he, they witnessed uh, them get hit with a gas cloud. A living wall of green fog about four feet in height moved towards the French line and spread out to a width of about 180 meters. As the wall of smoke grew higher, the whole area disappeared into it. Suddenly, the rifle fire from the French increased, but gradually died down. Soon, we heard strange shouts coming from the green fog. The cries became weaker and more incoherent. Then masses of soldiers tumbled upon us from out of the fog and collapsed. Most weren't wounded, but they had expressions of terror on their faces. The effects of chlorine gas on the body, they're just plain nasty. The gas causes acute inflammation of the eyes, nose, throat, and lungs, to which the body's immune system reacts with an overproduction of mucus. Soon the airways clog up and you're left gasping for a breath that will never come. It's like drowning on dry land. Was Fritz Haber in any way concerned about the ethics of chemical warfare? Well, apparently not, as he was quoted as saying, death is death, no matter how it is inflicted. Damn. Cold. Metal. Metal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, people, it was decried as a war crime, obviously, but it didn't stop uh, England from getting in on the game of uh, the creation of chemical warfare. I mean, this is like... This is the true introduction of the arms race. The concept of, well, you know, our opposition is going to build this weapon, so to counteract them, we're going to have to not only make better gear like gas masks that's going to protect our guys, but we're going to start making our own gas that's more lethal and just like this constant pushing only uh, only drives innovation, so to speak. And... um you know, it it becomes uh, an arms race. That's what it is, and uh, it's some of the. I, we're not going to get into the nerve agents and shit like that. That's um, ended up getting developed during World War II and post. This is not something that I realized, but we were actively. So we had the nuclear arms race with Russia, right? That everybody was always freaking out. We're oh, we're going to get nuked, right. um, but in secret, we were most definitely developing nazi uh derived nerve gas agents things mm. like vx and sarin gas mm-hmm. and stockpiling it it's it's off the charts and that was one of the uh one of the points uh, that we hit on last week when we were discussing operation large area coverage uh the national post article that we were reading from when they were discussing the um we had actually went up to I think it was outside of Winnipeg. Uh, the U.S. Army went up to Winnipeg, Canada, and ended up spraying them with the zinc cadmium sulfide. One of the Army reports, uh, they discussed the possibility of potentially taking this VX gas, which is a nerve agent. And um, it's one of those that even like touching it can uh, just completely wreck you. Right. It's really bad shit. Uh, so we'll continue on here with Fritz. Um, so they just uh, they just had this uh, the 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 first successful deployment um, of chemical warfare. This is chlorine gas, as it were. Do you remember when I got when um, when we were on Chicago and we stayed at that hotel in South Dakota and people were getting chlorine burns from the pool? Oh, I. I don't remember you talking about that, but I know that is very much a thing. Yeah, we um, stayed at this kind of bodunk uh, side of the highway hotel, and 
somewhere. I can't remember Brookings? where. Yeah, that sounds right. And they had this huge indoor swimming park in the middle of the hotel that, I mean, most of the hallways were connected to it in one way or the other. But they were dumping massive amounts of chlorine into the, into the water to like you it could you could smell it through the walls it was so potent and um you know a lot of people were having like really irritated eyes irritated esophaguses you know trouble breathing at night this is really bad shit uh our head wardrobe got uh and she's a very um she's very very much into the woo-woo and like not wanting to have anything to do with um like general mainstream chemicals and whatnot. So she was having a super hard time with all of that chlorine exposure. And, um, yeah, just, it's really kind of nasty stuff. So I, and you know, it's a, like you're stuck in this trench in the mud in human waste and blood and bodies. And the next thing you know, this gaseous green cloud floats in. You have no idea. You just, you start to smell this really like, acidic uh sort of sweet smell it's uh no good yeah did anyone actually ever get did anyone actually get the the burns i i don't i think she ended up um she was she was a she was dealing with it for like a week after yeah i had a friend growing up in school who was like allergic to chlorine Oh. And she would get like these massive red burns all around her body if she went into a pool that had too much concentrate in it or whatever it is that they use. Right. Yeah, I'd believe it. It's caustic. Yeah. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll continue on here. This next clip is called "Industrial Mass Murder," and it's the kickoff to a hundred years of uh, of the arms racing. There were ten thousand casualties. Terrified soldiers died where they fell as the cloud enveloped them. Corpses lay scattered along the trenches. Everything in the cloud's path turned green. Bayonets, watches, even human skin. War had changed forever. There have been lots of dead in wars before, no doubt greater numbers than that, but as suddenly as that, and from one operation, this was the, the great change of chemical warfare. This showed what science in mobilized war could actually do. The trend was set. There were other chemicals. There was biological weapons, radiological weapons, nuclear weapons. The whole progression of mass destruction was opened up on that day. But to Harbour's disappointment, the horror at Ypres was only a fraction of what it could have been. The Germans wasted an opportunity. They had a weapon of great surprise. They didn't actually anticipate uh, that this would be so effective. It was a largely a diversionary attack um, because they were concentrating the Eastern Front at the time. Uh, they didn't have the follow-up forces ready, and so it was a missed golden opportunity. But German newspapers hailed the attack as a great victory. It was justified as humane, one writer claiming, the letting loose of smoke clouds is an extraordinarily mild way of waging war. At the age of 40, Harbour became a national hero. He was promoted to captain, the first scientist to be embraced by the military. And we see the union of the science class and the military. And it just takes off from there. Uh, 
Fritz went, uh, Fritz later went on to develop phosgene gas and uh, mustard gas. That that's a one, one that um, most people are familiar with. Uh, really nasty stuff. It the mustard gas will actually stick to clothes, skin. It'll stick to the ground, um, and that was his way of bypassing the protective nature of gas masks because you know the Allies were constantly. Um, Developing better and better uh, gear to protect the soldiers. So they had to make it uh, more dangerous, naturally. And apparently it's very easy to make. Well, we don't discuss such things on a <laughs> public production. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say how. But, <coughs> well, know, that's the what... Internet's, uh, the internet's free. Um, there's the uh, the cult in Japan. The name escapes me. Um, but in the 1990s, there was that, uh, train attack where they released, um, sarin gas on the train. Are you familiar with this? I don't think so. I'll pull up the, the title. It's, uh, it was done by a cult and I can't remember the name of the cult, unfortunately. Uh, um, Shinrik. Kyo? Shinrikyo? Yes. That is them. Um, the This sarin gas that they used in the attack, they actually developed and uh, created it themselves. They had the, the, the formulas that they were able to reproduce, and apparently it wasn't that difficult for him. Yeah. Ashoko. Ashoko Asahara. That was... That's the name of the cult leader. That's the guy I was thinking of. I, I, oh, the specific? Yeah. Uh, so, um, unfortunately, uh, as you can imagine, this uh, first quote-unquote successful deployment of gas, it didn't, uh, it didn't end up so well for everybody. Not only did we have uh, the soldiers that fell first to the gas attack, but you also had the Germans that totally biffed it. They didn't think it was going to work so well. So when they, they had the upper hand, they didn't know what the fuck to do with themselves. Um, but it also had a pretty devastating effect on Clara. The night after his promotion, Captain Harbour held a dinner party to celebrate. But for his wife, the first gas attack was no cause for rejoicing. Clara was mortified that her husband's scientific skill had been used to kill fellow humans. Disgusted at his pride in the work, she continued to protest. She reproached him uh, that he uses uh, science uh, as a means of war and this is uh, contrary to all humanitarian attitude. But uh, for Fritz, the, the fatherland, Germany was uh, was of uh, greater importance. She, he, he called her a traitor of Germany. That night, they had a furious argument. Clara realized her husband would never change, but she too would not compromise. It was a matter of life and death. And the tragedy is that uh, the next morning, uh, Fritz uh, went to the Eastern Front. He didn't care about the corpse of, uh, of his uh, wife at all. He went to the Eastern Front and he led the next gas war attack. Yep. Uh, sadly, Clara shot herself through the heart 
in protest of her husband's actions in his testing of chemical weapons on people. It was a perversion of science, as she was quoted, and uh, she took her life for it. Wow. And the next day, he's like, well, I'm off to the Eastern Front later. <laughs> Bye. What a douche. What a douchebag. Uh, so sad. But if you ever did that to me? What, created chemical warfares and then you protested and you shot yourself in the heart? And I was like, all right, well, I'm off to the next one. <laughs> um, actually, it wouldn't be surprising. Jesus. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, it's fucked up. Um, You're the one that did it, not me. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, so we we talked a little bit about uh, Fritz and his Nobel Prize. Do you know what Fritz won the Nobel Prize for? Humanitarianism. Basically. There is a 50% <laughs> chance that you owe your very existence to this man's invention. The process he designed to convert atmospheric nitrogen into ammonia made it possible to produce fertilizers on a large scale, ensuring much more plentiful harvests than ever before in the history of mankind, and therefore saving billions of people from starvation. It is estimated that the food base of half the current world's population is based on his Harbour Bosch process. This achievement granted Dr. Harbour the highest of accolades, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, in 1918. And this is after the war had started, mind you. Right. So he's gassing motherfuckers, but he also is feeding know, them. Is feeding them. It's <laughs> science taketh and science giveth. Um, there was another thing that uh, based off of his actions, and one of the things that I guess Clara... Uh, was really into is like you know you're you're using science this is a tool and you have to be responsible for your tools and the things that you build and uh we all know what happens following world war one uh, in germany you see the rise of the nazi party hitler takes over um he ends uh he ends up running anybody that was jewish that held office or any important positions he ran them out um fritz was a uh was a polish jew i think but he had he had actually ended up uh converting to christianity and had went full paint german like he he was a full board german nationalist right but uh, he got the word that, you know, you're going to have to start fire firing all of your Jewish employees. So he uh, he was kind of stuck in this conundrum. Like, you know, he's he loves this. He loves his country, but he's getting pushed out um, by the very people that have taken control of it. And so once they asked him to fire all of his people, he ended he ended up um, uh, resigning himself and fled in exile. And uh, well. Some of his products, they uh, they ended up sticking around, and this is what happened to him. Now, it is uncommon for us to continue our stories after the death of our main character, but what happened some years after Fritz Haber's demise is certainly worth telling. 
If you remember, back in 1919, Haber had been one of the founders of the Degesh chemical company dedicated to fertilizers and pesticides. One of their top-selling products, to which Haber had personally contributed, was in fact a very powerful pesticide for agricultural use and improvement on the existing hydrogen cyanide or prussic acid. It was enriched with absorbents and an eye irritant to act as a warning against leaks. It was used mainly for delousing purposes, until in August of 1941, an SS captain, Karl Friedrich, used it as a gassing agent to kill some Russian POWs. This came to the attention of Rudolf Hoss and other Nazi officials. They were looking for a solution to solve what they considered their ultimate problem. You would say that they were looking for a final solution. A cheap and efficient way to exterminate millions of Jews, Roma, and other undesirables. The pesticide was modified to remove its warning odor and its eye irritants so as to take the victims completely by surprise. The original name of the chemical? Well, that was Zyklon. Its modified version? The infamous Zyklon B, the preferred killing tool used by the Nazi delirium to end the lives of millions of innocent Jews and other prisoners in the gas chambers. Talk about your science running amok. You know, the... The very thing that you create to help protect you and your country and all of your people just gets turned right around and used to exterminate your very own people. Mm. It's vicious, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Fritz, you know, he died in exile, died uh, from a heart attack in 1934. He never returned to Germany after, after he left. Uh, but eventually, his and his uh, Clara's remains were um, they were moved so that they were buried together. Yep, and that's the story of Fritz and Clara uh, Arbor. I still think she's a Banff. Him, a little more on the fence. Yeah. <clears throat> Would you? I got. Uh, I got one more segment. If you got time for it, what are you thinking? Sure. Okay. Uh, so this is this next series of clips, and this will wrap us up for tonight. Uh, this series of clips will actually detail uh, one of the um, more disturbing uh, anecdotes, I think, of uh, chemical warfare during World War One. And uh, this is a story that is known as the Attack of the Dead Men. Here's our first clip, the Siege of Osoviec. Osoviec's fortress was built in the late 19th century on a strategic hotspot near the river Biebrze in what is now Poland, but back then was the Russian Empire. It was just about 50 kilometers away from East Prussia, though, along the important railway line from Bialystok to Königsberg, which conveniently ran straight through the fortress. So it's kind of obvious why this was quite a headache for German high command in the Great War. This close to the German border and effectively controlling one of the few railway lines through all the bogs and marshes in the area, the fortress had to either be taken or destroyed. Otherwise, it would prevent any advance into northern Poland. In fact, the Germans had tried to take the fortress back in September 1914 and again in February 1915, where the second attack had severely damaged much of the fortress defenses through heavy bombing. But the main defensive ring had nonetheless held long enough for the Russian counterattacks to force the attackers to break off. By the summer of 1915, though, the Kaiser's army was determined to try again. 
So that's the thing with all of these World War One battles. It just takes forever to do anything. And you're just like, like we said earlier, you're just chewing through men as you're trying to make these uh, moves and gains on your opponent. Uh, so eventually they said, well, fuck this. We're tired of dealing with these assholes that are uh, uh, holed up in their little fort. We're going to bring out the big canisters. And they decide to gas the fort. This is my... That is not the clip I am looking for. Whoops. This is the clip we're looking for. In the early morning of August 6th, as the winds were finally favorable, the German gas batteries opened up. A dark green smog descended upon the battered defensive works. The wave of gas crept over the Russian lines, creating a death zone. The gas used was made out of a mixture of chlorine and bromine. While the bromine acted as a respiratory irritant, the chlorine attacked the lungs, chemically burning them, right? The chlorine attached itself to moisture in the air, turning it to hydrochloric acid, which then bit into the membranes and flesh of the lungs, aggressively dissolving the soft tissue. The Russian soldiers were literally choking on their own blood as every breath they took destroyed their lungs. Unable to breathe, they died in agony, coughing out bloody lumps of their own lungs. But it was not only the lungs that suffered, as the acid attacked the soft tissues of the eyes and noses, burning them chemically as well. The soldiers burned from the inside out. Many died within the first few minutes. Those further away from the initial attack tried binding wet rags and urine-soaked shirts around their faces in a desperate attempt to protect themselves, but that often helped little. Everything the wave of gas came in contact with began to die. Leaves and grass turned yellow and black. It killed the insects and the animals in the woods. There was no escaping as the gas crept into every ditch and into every hole, even attaching itself to the brass of guns and shells. Yeah, so everything's getting coated. I mean, there's no chance for these dudes. You're fucked. It's not going to end well for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, this next clip, I, I, I have lovingly referred to it, or excuse me, have labeled it the end, dot, 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 or is it? The defenders suffered heavy losses, and whole companies in the foremost trenches were, were simply wiped out. Only around 100 men in the defensive lines further back survived, still terribly burned. As the gas dissipated, the German infantry battalions formed up. While other units went to secure the railway line, it was up to the 7,000 men of the German 76th Landwehr Division to storm the main defensive lines in front of the fortress. Confident that most of the defenders had been wiped out and that the few left would be overcome with ease, the German infantry moved onwards. The first lines were indeed littered with only the dead, grotesquely deformed in their final moments of inevitable death. The end. Or was it? As the German troops moved onward over the shelled out ground, they suddenly came under heavy fire. The fortress artillery opened up on them and machine gun fire tore holes in their ranks. Further out on the flanks, the last Russian reserve companies coming up from the rear formed to counterattack the German infantry. Seeing those friendly reinforcements rush in with their bayonets attached, the 100-odd survivors in the trenches also emerged. Bayonets fixed, they stumbled like zombies out of their dugouts, crawling and limping their way into the open. Blazing, 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 
Yes, that was a bad edit on my my side. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you want to talk about <clears throat> just metal? You gas all these dudes, and then lo and behold, you think you've won the battle, and you start advancing, and then they start opening fire up on your ass, and then they're standing up, and they got the the, the bloody cloth over their mask with bits of lung, and it just you want to talk about like I don't. I don't see the same sort of thousand-yard stares or the shell-shocked expressions. Like, the the images in these dudes' faces when you see the, like, before and after pictures, I just... There's no, there's no other, um, I guess, period in time that it, that really compares just to right. the, the sheer horror of situations you're going to find yourself in. Like, you know... And and props to the to the uh, two Russian companies. I, I think it was the fifth and thirteenth. Um, they only got partially. I mean, they they definitely got doused in the gas, but it was enough where they had enough of a warning to actually uh, protect themselves for the little bit that they could. Um, but at that point, you know, just to stand back up in the middle of all of that and uh, <laughs> you know push back all these German douchebags, it's. It's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. Um, but we'll uh, we'll finish off with this last clip. Attack of the Dead Men. Complete shock. Stop the German attackers dead in their tracks. Like dead men returning to life, the Russian survivors came on, heavily breathing, gasping for air through destroyed lungs, their faces scarred by chemical burns, half hidden with bloody rags. They marched on thirsting for revenge for the terrible fate thrust upon them. Their tears were bloody. Their eyes burned red. They spat blood and parts of their lungs as they advanced, croaking and coughing like the living dead. This horrible sight, as well as the unexpected counterattack, halted the Germans and a deep panic set in. They, they hastily withdrew, soon running away in terror as the panic spread through their ranks, pushing their comrades aside, trampling over each other, stumbling over barbed wire as Russian artillery shells fell in between them. The attack of the dead men came on, accompanied by a bayonet charge of the reserves and recaptured the lost trenches. By 11 a.m., a few hours after the deadly gas attack, the defensive lines were back in Russian control. The Germans had withdrawn back to their own starting positions. Okay, much of the battle remains shrouded in, in legends and mystery, and that is likely to remain so. The casualty numbers on either side are unknown, as are the German records of this battle, though it was certainly a well-deserved tactical victory of a small Russian force over a much larger German force. Strategically, it did little to preserve the Russian hold on Poland, and Osovitz's fortress had to be given up weeks later as it was too damaged and the whole front had to pull back anyhow. And since, after the Russian revolutions of 1917, this war was viewed by the Soviet Union as a capitalist war and a source of shame. It was largely edited or written out in their history books. Nowadays, post-Soviet Union, however, the legend of the attack of the dead men is gaining more attention as Russia's interest in the Great War increases. And the legend is certainly a tale worth telling. That is beyond dispute.
I would be pissed if this if I was a part of this uh this company and they turned around and memory hold the the epic tell of the attack of the dead men. That would be that would be as they call it an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Capitalist pigs. Um yeah, that's what uh it was kind of a brief little uh insight into some of the battles. Um really gnarly shit. And if you would like to see that in Lego form, I got links to that posted. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the bottom of the notes. Um, yeah, that's all I got on um, on the story there. Uh, you got any final parting thoughts? No thoughts. No thoughts. No thoughts. Empty, empty brain. Empty brain. <laughs> right on. How about we fill it up with a voicemail? Oh, okay. <laughs> I wait to be your applause kind of place that you have. Because I know you have it. Alright, thank you for the applause. Um Oh yeah, I was saying I'm thinking this man, I think we need uh I'm not sure you guys think, but I'm used to seeing Big Masters in this new project too. Doing I don't know if nobody got him the memo. Maybe he didn't know Podcasting 2 was going on, but, like, you know, he's late to the boat a little bit on it, but he's working on a blockchain Bitcoin-based thing. It's closer to, like, a video platform slash Patreon, but there's no monetary anything, and it's all blockchain. Should we hook him up with Adam, or is he wasting his time? What do you think? Press F in the chat. Hmm, interesting proposition. Sounds like uh, Dick Masterson, um, internet personality. He was on, uh, he's got a couple of really funny um, clips uh, of his appearance on Dr. Phil online. But he's got, a, he's got one of those kind of like crass uh, morning talk show podcasts. And um, it sounds like he's doing his own uh, sort of Bitcoin video platform. So, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, well, I will say this. He, I did see him on Mastodon recently, so he's floating around there. Um, I think it's definitely worth reaching out to him to see if he's using any of the new tags for podcasting 2.0, if he plans on it, or if he even knows what they are. Uh, oh God, get down, get down, get down, get down, get down. Got to put on the mask. That was a gas attack. Warning. That was Pitar with uh, 11,915 sats saying gas attack. <laughs> that was a fun gift to make. I got a actual uh, World War One footage. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like a little baby's rattle. A little piece of, uh, like a wooden clicker thing. You spin yeah. it around. Um... But yeah, that's uh, that's definitely interesting. I think it's worth reaching out to him regardless and uh, just telling him about the the stuff. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be interested about the monetization. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The monetization angle of podcasting 2.0. Um, but, you know, it all starts with uh, using one of the new apps and telling people to stop using fucking Spotify. As it goes. 
Uh, but yeah, that was our last screen mail. If you want to get in on that action, you still got time during the week. You can call that number 612-263-7999. We'll play it on the show for you next week. Um, that's all I got for tonight. You got anything? I was happy to be here. Thanks hey. for having me. Oh, it's too kind. Too kind. We'll be back at it next week. Uh, BadRadio.live is where we hang out. Uh, it's going to be 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. Make sure you're listening to us in a nude podcast apps, uh, newpodcastapps.com. Check us out. Behind the schemes, sch3m3s.com. And uh, make sure you at least swing by and uh, check out the show notes. You can see all of our uh, show art for this week. We got a lot of it. It's going to be a really good time. And uh, I got a really super funky way to play us out tonight. I have discovered the rabbit hole of porn music. Oh my God. You're just now discovering... Oh, you're too busy watching other stuff to pay attention to the music. No, I'm saying in the ways of using it for a production. Oh. Yeah. Did you know... Fun fact, Friday. Not to steal Midas's thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. Do you know the Nanamana Muppet song is a porn song? Mm-mm. No way. Yeah. It's from a, like, 1950s softcore porn. Wow. A little do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. I never get off. Wow. I like that. Yeah, I'll pick it up. What? That's more appropriate. (laughs) The more you know. And, uh, wow, I'm just, I'm so stunned. I don't have anything else. I've been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. Oh, that's me. No. And I'm. (laughs) That's me. Now you're you. (laughs) And I'm Lightbright, coming from the room right next to you we'll catch you next time we should celebrate together on the show from separate locations what is the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh dildos the SSM guy what satan sass we're whistling past the graveyard his hilt, his, his dragon hilt, he actually gave him like a, a plus two on his sword-wielding ability and damage. Don't want to slip into the void, unless... When you're a young punk rocker, you want to dress like all the other punk rockers. So you, you kind of like shed your one conformity and join another one.